Praise the Lord. Just look with me quickly into Romans chapter 8. Last uh, week I was sharing on uh, breaking free of a victim mentality. And uh, I want to just pick it up because there'll be some who weren't here and uh, move from there into developing a kingly mentality. Now he's just breaking out of one thing. You've got to put on something else and uh, develop a different way of thinking. And I'll share with you some things, some practical keys. But I want to just pick up where we were. Last week we looked in Romans chapter 8, and uh, it says in verse uh, 30, uh, 34, Who is it that condemns? Christ has died and he's risen is at the right hand of God. He is there making intercession for us right now. He is praying you and I will succeed. Who will separate us from the love of Christ then? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword? Verse 37, and all these things, no matter what, life dishes up to you. And Paul had a few things dished up. Beatings, stonings, shipwrecks. I mean, you think if God was on his side, you think that he could have at least told him to catch the right boat. But he had three times the boat he was on sank. And he's there in the water holding on to pieces of wood. That's not very nice. But he never, never never, never thought like a victim. There he is, and he's in prison, chained to a Roman soldier, but he never, never thought like a victim. He never thought as one in prison. He said, no, 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 son. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Whatever you're facing in your life, believe me, you have got it in you. You are more than a conqueror. Of course, if you don't believe that, if you think you're a victim, you're in trouble. But the reality is, the truth of God is, you have got all it takes through Christ. Notice the key thing in there. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him. It is your vital union with Jesus Christ. It's your connected with Him. He, he has already won the victory. He has already faced every challenge of life. You and I, as we connect with Him, can arise with His life. When you put off your struggles and put them on Him and begin to learn how to draw on His life, you are more than a conqueror. I like that, more than a conqueror. That means to gain decisive victory, to have a surpassing victory in every situation. So whatever you face in life, from the little mundane things in family life, marriage and finance, to work, to major challenges, you have got it in you to win if you hold on to Jesus Christ. You are designed to win. There's no way God planned your failure. Can you imagine God planning your failure? It's not what He does. He plans your success. I know the plans I have for you, plans for good, not evil, that you would prosper and be positive and be filled with hope about your future. So, let's have a look. I want to just pick up there at this aspect of victim mentality. I want to touch it again. We're going to go over this time into Numbers chapter 13. We're going to find uh, two different mentalities in number 13 and 14. We're going to find a victim mentality and its way it operates and its consequence. We're going to find a kingly mentality, a kingly mentality, how it behaves, how it thinks and acts. Then we'll talk about how to shift. So in Numbers chapter 13, we'll pick it up there in uh, maybe verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. That's the 12 spies. Now they departed and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. 
And then they told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us. Truly, it flows with milk and honey, and here's the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. We saw the descendants of Anak there, the giant. The Amalekites are in the south. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, and other ites in the mountains. Canaanites by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people. Let us go up at once and take position. We're well able to overcome it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't. We're not able to go up against this people. They are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land they'd spied out, saying, the land to which we've gone as spies is a land. It devours its inhabitants. The people we saw are men of great stretcher. We saw the giants, descendants of Anak, which came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so were we in their sight. Now, a victim mentality will steal your godly inheritance. You have to understand what's at stake here. The promises God holds for your life, the destiny He wrote for your life, the good things He planned to accomplish in and through you, all depend on you adopting an attitude of faith. If you stay in a victim mentality, there is no way you can rise into and experience the things God has planned for you. God has planned financial breakthroughs, breakthroughs in your personal life, breakthroughs in relationship. He's planned not just breakthroughs, He's planned breakouts where you start to influence people when people see answers to prayer. However, a victim mentality will steal away all the good things that God has planned for you. This is why it is important to shift from a victim mentality to a kingly mentality. I must shift the way I see life. I must shift in my heart and in my mind, in my words and in my actions. I must make a choice to change. No one makes it for you. No one makes it for you. Wherever you have been, no matter how bad, tragic, no matter what bondage, whatever slavery, whatever problem you have been in, God can use it as a stepping stone to get you up into your destiny. And as He redeems your past, you begin to see how it prepared you for the things you have ahead. But you make the choice. Now, I want you to have a look at this thing. First of all, just redefine the victim mentality. A victim mentality is a way of thinking. It's a way you think. Therefore, it has to do with your thought life. It is a way of looking at life and interpreting it. It is a belief system in the heart. So it's a whole way of thinking and believing the way you approach your life. If you were in the secular world, then the motivators would begin to show you how to think differently. As you think differently, they'd say you'd have a different life, which is partly true. Definitely, if we think good thoughts, as you'll see shortly, your life will change. So uh, a victim, then, a victim mentality is a mentality where the person, now learn this, they will not take responsibility. That's the bottom line. They refuse to assume responsibility. They choose rather to make excuses for why life is like it is and to find someone or something to blame. When you blame someone, you put responsibility on them, you remove it from yourself and leave yourself powerless and resentful at how life sucks. 
This is a way of thinking. It's an internal choice in your heart. Every situation that comes to you, you can approach it as a king or as a victim. No one chooses the response but you. Think about that. And so uh, a victim mentality then is a way, it's, it's blaming others for why I feel like I did. You make me feel so mad. No, I don't make you feel so mad. Your feelings are your feelings. They're not my feelings. Own your feelings. They're yours. You can go to the grave with them if you wish, or you could choose to change. You have to understand this is a very, very important thing because New Zealanders uh, as a whole, there's a widespread victim mentality sits on many people. It's in the culture, but in the culture of the church, we want to shift you to have a kingly thinking where there's nothing in life that isn't too much for you. Amen. Amen. I can see there's resistance going on, but that's all right. We're going to keep going there. And I want to share with you something at the end that'll, that'll be uh, an insight that'll really help. So let's have a look at Israel and how they viewed their situations. I want to do three things. How they viewed their situation, how they responded, and then what it cost them. And I want, you to show, I want to show you how God directly connects their failure to get His promises to the way they thought and behaved. So you can be in church, saved, redeemed, but if we don't make a choice to shift our thinking and believing and living, we actually live substandard and below what God intended for us. So first of all, how they viewed their situation, what their belief system was, how do they see themselves? First of all, they see themselves like grasshoppers. I am a grasshopper. It's called an inferiority complex. I am a grasshopper. I'm small. Problems are big. That's a belief system. Second thing is how they saw life's challenges. Verse 31 and 33. Oh, the giants in the land are too big for us. Oh, you mean that God allowed something to come into your life that was too big for you to handle and you weren't ready to prepare to deal with it? Oh, really? I, didn't, I thought he was more in control than that. The giants, everything is a giant to a person with a victim mentality. It's a problem they're burdened with. Uh, the next thing is their inheritance. Well, how they saw the promises of God. Oh, 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 it's a land that devours its inhabitants. There's a lot of problems. Finally, how they saw God. Look at this. Look at this. Read in chapter 14, verse 3. How they saw God. And here's where the real problem is, how you see God. He says, why has the Lord brought us to this land? We're going to be killed by the sword. Now, wives and children, notice this, should become victims. Isn't that amazing? They have lived. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? Where was Egypt? Egypt was the place where they were victims and they were slaves. They'd lived there. They thought like a victim, thought like a slave. And when God got them out and was trying to bring them and prepare them to move from His direct provision into the principles of the kingdom and advancing the kingdom, they resisted and said, God must hate us. He's brought us out here to kill us. We're better to leave Him and go back. Whoa. So how they responded? 
because of those things they believe. Notice the seeds of things they believe, the way they saw themselves, the way they saw life, the way they saw the giants, the promises of God, God Himself. Notice what they did. Here's what they did, how they responded. Read it in chapter 14. So they lifted up their voices and cried and wept. Number one, self-pity. They cried and they went, oh, it's not fair. Your life isn't fair. It's too tough. They just had a, had a wind. All night they cried. Second thing you notice they did was they blamed. Verse 2, all the children of Israel complained. A complainer is a victim mindset. A complainer, a person who complains, has got a victim mindset. Why? Because he's putting the blame out there. That's why he's complaining. Well, you, you know, you did this, you did this. And they're complaining and complaining. Now, what that is, it's actually putting my life is bad because of what you did. Rather than actually, I have power to choose what I do with my life. I can grow through the experience, become a better person. I can change my life around, and I can shift what's happening. You notice they complain. The other thing you notice there is bitterness. There was deep bitterness in their heart. Notice what they said. Verse 2, if only we'd died. That's a very sad person, isn't it? Very sad. So they had bitterness in their heart. They had judgments. Notice they judged God. He's brought us out here to kill us. God's made life so unfair. And uh, finally, you notice they had rejection and unbelief in their heart. Said, let's, verse 4, select a leader and let's go back to where we were. Or putting it another way, let's stop following the Holy Ghost. Let's leave church and just go back. We'll go back and start to party again and sing again and go into the pubs and just do what we used to. It was a lot easier then. But where were you when you were there? You were in slavery. You never found freedom there. You found freedom in Christ. And He's wanting to bring you into great things. He just wants you to grow. So you notice there, God wanted them to change. Victim mentality cost them an inheritance. Look at this, Numbers chapter 14, verse 21 through to verse 23. Now truly as I live, this is the Lord speaking, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. In other words, God's saying, even though Israel failed in its purpose, I have in the future a generation I will raise up and they will manifest the glory right through the whole of the earth. Then he says, because these men, now these ones, now he's talking about these ones. Because, notice this, they saw my glory, they experienced the glory of God, had glory times, fire, it was visible, tangible. The signs I did in Egypt and the wilderness, but they put me to test ten times and wouldn't believe or obey my voice. They shall not see the land. Notice the word because. They had such opportunity, but did not believe. He said they can't go in. Hebrews 3, the last verse says, they failed to experience God's provided provision for them because of unbelief. Spirit of unbelief keeps you out of the supernatural life flow and provisions of God. And it's connected to the way you view life and view God and view yourself. It's connected to your heart condition. As a man thinks in his heart, that's how his life goes. Think about that. Now we read it and mentally we separate ourselves away from these people and think that's not us, that's them. But this is written, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, for the church, not to make the same crazy mistakes and suffer the same consequences. Over the years I have seen many, many believers let go of God because in the circumstances of life their heart did not embrace God and His truth, their heart stayed frozen in the bitterness and judgments and the lies of their past. This is why we have in the church 
processes for healing and restoration because it's vital to shift that junk out of your heart so you can arise and begin to believe God. You can't build over rubbish. You want to build a building, you clear a good and put a good foundation down, getting a deliverance and healing and changing the belief system of your heart. Now, to change the belief system of your heart is called this. It's called repentance. Repentance. Foundational to the life of God is repentance. Jesus said, repent, the kingdom is at hand. In other words, I have so much to offer you, it's right at your doorstep, but to enter it requires repentance, a change of heart view, of heart belief, of heart approach. God has many things for us, but repentance, changing our belief system, is crucial to entering it. It's not about an external performance, it's about the heart welcoming truth, embracing it and experiencing it. We'll share a few keys on that just shortly. So, so you notice there, they were burning with bitterness and resentment and unbelief and judgments. They needed to get their heart clear of it. That's what the wilderness was about. It was about an opportunity to get freed up of the baggage of the past, come into a place of recognizing over and over again, God is loving, God can be trusted, God provides. Now I can learn to arise, be responsible, and partner with Him in taking the land. So in your initial Christian experience, God shifts a lot of things out of your life, but then it's to prepare you so you can begin to walk with Him, begin to uh, dream and explore desires and begin to discover your destiny and begin to flow with Him into fulfilling your destiny. But if you remain stuck in the baggage of the past, then your belief system doesn't come up far enough to, to get you into what God has. Oh. So changing or repenting requires recognizing the patterns of thinking and believing. You've got to be aware of it and recognize it, first of all, taking responsibility that the root issues are mine and I'm going to take and embrace the process of change. It involves resolving grief and anger and bitterness and judgment. You've got to resolve the stuff or it just keeps operating in your life. It's like a garden with weeds that have never been weeded out. It involves renewing the patterns of thinking and beginning to start to recognize and confront old patterns when they come back and make a decision to change. I guarantee you, you change in your thinking and believing, you'll change in the friendships and the people you've got around you. you. You will, because changing in the heart changes what's outside you. Okay, now let's have a look at a kingly mentality. And the kingly mentality is found in Caleb. Let's define a kingly mentality. A kingly mentality. That's what God wants us to have. A kingly. So a kingly mentality is a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking like a king would think. It's a way of viewing life like a king would view life. It's a way of interpreting the experiences you have through a kingly dominion mindset. It's a way of thinking. And so we have to change our way of thinking. So in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16, it says, He that's joined to the Lord is one spirit. So a kingly mindset is a way of viewing life. I am joined one spirit with the Lord. God and me are one. And wherever I go, God is with me. This is a winning team. God, almighty God, who never lost a battle in his life, is with me. That's a kingly mentality, see? Kingly mentality means I take full responsibility for my personal life, my thoughts, beliefs, emotions, responses, words, and actions. No more blame game. You. 
No more. Kings don't get the blame game going. Kings stand up and own their life and then govern their life and then govern beyond them. They have influence because they've shifted. Romans 5, 17. Person exercises faith to manifest the life of God. So a kingly mentality is something like this. I'm connected to God Almighty who loves me, is with me, means good for me, and He has called me to represent Him on this earth and to extend His kingdom. So my prayer is, Father, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth in me and through me, just like it is in heaven. That is a kingly mentality. It's a whole way of looking. So a challenge comes up. It's an opportunity to bring the life of God to change it. And the life of God changes things. Last night in the park, when we had over 100 people there singing and worshiping and, and, and just, just singing the Christmas carols. But you know what? They released a spiritual atmosphere into the place that people felt, cried, were touched. Their hearts started to turn back and remember God. What is all that about? That's heaven starting to come to earth. It's people joined to God, flowing as one, bringing the life of God out to where people are. It's the most amazing thing. So the, most, the, the example of it is, King, is Caleb. Here it is in Numbers 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different spirit. He's got a kingly spirit. Kingly spirit. He's followed me fully. I'll bring him into the land where he went and his descendants with him. So whenever you hear the word Caleb, three, at least three times in the Bible it says, Oh, my servant Caleb, who has a different spirit. What God needs is people with a different spirit. Not the spirit of the world, complaining and victim and orphaned and alone, but a different spirit. A spirit of the king, the king of kings inside us. A spirit that says, God is with me and I'm aware of him and I can work with him and we'll do some things together. The name Caleb means literally this. It means, Caleb means to be forcible to have a bit of push and grunt. Or it means not to be a sissy and a pushover. So Caleb means no sissy boy here. No pushover here. It also has the meaning to be a dog, like a dog would fiercely attack. So I kind of thought of him being like a Doberman. You imagine yourself being a Doberman. My goodness, they're scary dogs, aren't they? You look over a gate and see a Doberman, there's no way you're going there. Wouldn't that be right? No way you're going into any place where there's a Doberman. They look there and their ears go back and the teeth begin to bet. You're gone. There's no way you're going to hang around. Now that's what the devil wants to see, a church full of Dobermans. See? So when they go, the devils flee. And we're not like that to people, like that to the devil. See? Well, this man here was a forcible man. So how did he see his situation? See, what I'm concerned about is more than just his name. His name is prophetic of the type of person who has a kingly mentality and arises and gets God's promises. But there's things that he had in his heart. In, uh, in the book of uh, Joshua, chapter 14, he said, I brought word back as was in my heart. When a person shares what's in their heart, they're revealing their beliefs, their, who they really are. They're actually being quite open and transparent. Now, I want you to see the contrast of Caleb's heart 
and what he really believed and the heart of the people of Israel. Here it is. Let's have a look at Caleb. How did he see God? Look in Numbers chapter 14, number 14, and verse 9. And the Lord is with us. See, how do you see God? Almighty God is with us. He didn't see God as being someone far off, distant, uncaring, unloving, the mighty covenant God. And I'm in covenant with Him. I belong to the tribe of Judah. I belong to a tribe connected to Him. God is with us. What a difference it would make in your life if everywhere you went, God is with me. Now, don't yell that out. They think you're nutty. But... uh, well, you may want to yell it out, but, you know, but, but you need to know it experientially on the inside to feel that truth. God is inside me. Almighty God is with me. Wherever I go, God is with me. I'm not alone in life. I don't have to struggle in life. God, my Father, is with me. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. Now, you see, when we get to believe that in our heart, it begins to fill the mind, and you begin to talk that way. It just comes out of you. You talk that way. Notice the way he saw himself. Numbers 13, verse 30. Caleb shut the people up and said, Let us go up. We're well able to overcome it. Notice this is the way he sees himself. We are well able. He included everyone else, which is quite generous of him. What he's really saying is, I can do this. I can do it. I can do it, because God is with me. I can do it. See, how do you see himself? He saw he's an overcomer. Do you see yourself that way? Or do you see yourself as a victim? There's no victim mentality here. We can do it. We're overcomers. Paul said the same thing. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 18. See, it's the same thing. Whatever God calls me to do, I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. See, it's the way you see yourself. You're a winner. You're a, tell someone, they say, you're a winner. Well, no one likes to call themselves a loser, do they? I mean, imagine if you turned around, see the bubble that comes and say, you're a winner. But imagine if you turned around and said, you're a loser. Man, you probably get a poke on the nose. There'd be slapping, there'd be aggro, there'd be all kinds of stuff go down there. Hey, listen, the devil tells you you're a loser every day of your life, 24 hours of the day. He's always telling you're a loser. He wants you to believe you're a loser. God wants you to believe you're a winner. You've got to choose who you're going to listen to. You're going to listen to God and what God says. You're a winner. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is within you. You must be a winner. That same spirit energizes your body. You don't have to be tired when the spirit of God is available to flow through your body. Come on, think about this. See, we choose our attitude when we get out of bed. Oh, another day. Oh, no. Oh, glory. Another day an effort and a discipline. See, how did he see the challenges? So he didn't look like a victim. Oh, no, this is so bad. What kind of mess am I in now? He didn't look at it like that. This is what he said. Verse uh, number 14, verse 9. Ah, don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land. These giants are bred. Their protection has departed from them and the Lord as well. How did he look at it prior? How did he look at giants? He said, They're bread for us. Giants are the food of kings. Giants are the food of kings. They're the bread of kings. One thing to feed on the bread, the Word of God, 
But there's another bread that gets you strong, and that's feeding on the giants. Feeding on the giants. Not fleeing the giants. Feeding of the giants. Giants are bread. You see, I can feel the unbelief rising straight away. You think, well, I hear what he's saying, but inside I don't believe that at all. No, wait, well, okay. You can believe what you choose. I guarantee your, gi your giants aren't bread. Your giants actually hurt you, wound you, defeat you consistently because you don't see them as bread, as part of God's provision to go grow godly people, great champions, great kings. Kings have to be grown. They don't just turn up, sit in church and listen to a message, and then you become a king. I don't think so. You've got to be doing something the rest of the week, you know. And so when you go out there, God's got a giant for you to face. Instead of looking, thinking, oh, how are you doing today? Oh, 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 I see you've got a giant. Oh, you've got a giant. And you're a grasshopper. I can feel grasshopper emanating out of you. Come on. See? Or what do you, is the words coming out of your mouth? It's, it, it reveals what's in your heart. Grasshopper or giant slayer. See, Caleb said at 85, you remember that mountain where all the giants were and the majority of people had a whinge and a whine and complained and wasted 40 years? I want that mountain with those giants. See, see, it doesn't register, does it? Say, 85, someone asking for a challenge. Most people, 85, just want to rest home. Someone to wheel them around, take them for an outing, feed them, and wipe up the dribble. But we're not like that. We can remain strong and vibrant through Christ's light within us. But you have to have a mentality like that. I'll show you why in just a moment. Anyway, so there it is, giant. Giants are bred. Notice what he says, their defense has departed from them. What he's referring to is this, the demonic realm that empowered the giants and made them look so fierce and gave them such authority, God has already caused it to be broken over their life. That's why you can win the victory. They may look big, but actually their defense has departed from them. Their demons are no longer operative. We have something more operative. Now you come to the cross, Colossians 2, and it tells us very clearly, now God, Christ has disarmed principalities and powers so you would not fear spirits, but rather walk in dominion over them. You've got to believe it though. You have to believe the truth. Repent of the old stuff, the unbelief that stops you getting the victory. So what did, he saw the challenges, they're bread. And notice how he saw the land, it's flowing with milk and honey. Man, have we got a good life ahead. So when you ask, how's it going? Oh, not too good. How's it going? Man, God has provided challenge after challenge for me to grow. I'm looking forward to the things he's bringing into my life. Bread, milk and honey is ahead for me. Milk and honey. You say, oh, but you don't understand we're in a crisis. There's no crisis in heaven. It's only in your mind and heart. Now, I know it's in the physical reality, but God takes people through crises. So how did he respond? So when a person's got this kind of faith in their heart, notice he brought word as was in his heart. The big thing is how he saw God. God is big and great and loves us. He's a covenant God. He's with us. We can't lose. We can't lose. And even a setback is just that. It's a setback. 
Even a failure is just a setback. We can't lose. We can't lose because why? Because God said it and God doesn't lie. See, it's based on the truth. Remember, they'd all seen the glory. They'd all seen the miracles, all seen fire. They'd seen all manner of things, but what they needed was faith in their heart, which comes by believing the word and character of God. They needed to shift and begin to be believers. So what happens next? So how did he respond? Well, this is how a person who's got faith in their heart responds in Numbers 13, verse 30. He shut up the critical negative talk. Now believe me, if you listen to critical negative talk and don't say a word, you're in agreement with it and the spirit behind it. You've got to understand, if you listen to negative critical talk, you have come into agreement with the spirit behind it. What you say and do is important. Someone starts being negative and critical, you need to do what Caleb did. He shut it up. He silenced the people. He refused to dwell among people that were critical and negative. He stopped the negative talk and spoke into it. That's a faith does that kind of stuff, see? Second thing is, he rejected the negative attitude. Verse 9 of Numbers 14, don't rebel, don't fear, don't get a bad attitude. God is with us. You've got to realize that negative words and negative attitudes are infectious like a plague. They're like a spiritual disease. If someone had leprosy or some kind of AIDS and the sores were everywhere, I can't see you going up there and giving them a hug. You'll just stand back a bit and you'll have a bit of caution going on in there. They want to catch what you've got. But when someone comes near with negative words and a negative attitude, it's very easy to wrap in their arms and hug them and love them and get into agreement with it and the spirit behind it. He just cut it out completely and challenged the people to think and believe differently. He rejected the negative attitude and he boldly declared the word of God. We are well able. God is with us. Their defense has departed. Their bread for us. This is it. We can do it. Now, understand this was his heart. And God says he's got a different spirit, different heart attitude, a kingly dominion heart attitude. You know why the others couldn't go into the land? Because it required faith to inherit the promises. And two men had it. And those two, God said, I'll bring you in, but the others can't come in. Why can't they come in? They haven't got what it will take. They just can't make it. That's why God may have lots of things for you, but if you don't prepare your heart and shift your thinking, you can't make it. We can't make it in there because it requires faith to access the promises of God. There's got to be a heart belief. So as he had a big heart belief, and so God says, man, this boy, I'm bringing him, not only him, all his family as well. He's got another spirit, a kingly spirit. Okay, so how can we get that kingly heart attitude in us? Let me give you a couple of thoughts, and then we'll finish up. Battles are won and lost in the mind and heart. The battles of life are won and lost in the minds and the heart. Because the Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Now, that word thinks is an ongoing, present, continuous word. In other words, as a man is continually thinking in his heart, then that's how his life is working out. Why? Because of the thoughts and what thoughts do. I want to share with you something I discovered through a little bit of research just recently. And uh, as you continue to think, you are building your life. So your thoughts 
are building the life you'll have on the earth. Your thoughts are like bricks, and you're putting them in one after another. And so the way we think and view life begins to build into us and program on us how we're going to be in the future. You have to understand that. Now, there's been some research done on thoughts and thinking processes. And here's some interesting things you may not have realized. I, I don't have a picture I could show you, but thoughts are actually can be measured. In other words, they occupy space in your head. A thought is not a nothing. See, a thought is something. A memory is something. We don't tend to think that way, but it is something. Now, what is it? Well, it's actually neurons going through a path. There are chemicals released, and there's some pathways formed in your mind. So there are electrical impulses, neurons, and chemicals released. See, for example, if I just got everyone now, it's nearly half past 11 now. So if I got everyone beginning to think about a beautiful lunch, oh, there it is, chicken, oh. I can see it now. I can see the gravy on it, all that seasoning and the potatoes. And oh, it's looking good. Now, I'm, now immediately, I start to feel hungry. My body, now notice, I want you to get this. My body and feelings responded to my thoughts. So as I began to think, there was something happened in my body and emotions. Same with yours. If you begin to think about a painful experience for a little bit, and you begin to remember that experience and begin to imagine it and picture it, very soon there'll be feelings come, emotions will come. And you'll begin to enter into that experience. Sometimes tears come. Uh, I found one certain piece of music I just played the other day. As I played the music, I found tears come. I thought, that's strange. The music is triggering off thoughts, and they're connected to emotions. Because I've got emotions, I must have thoughts. I wonder what they are. So they're all interconnected. Now, here's the interesting thing. They've been able to study the brain. And here's the interesting thing that happens, that when you think, thinking involves electrical impulses, neurons connect, and you form like a tree in your brain. Can you imagine a tree with lots of branches? Now, the more you repeat certain kinds of thinking, the bigger the tree grows in your brain. So if you begin to think, say, negative thoughts about yourself and continually repeat them, there grows like a tree in your brain of neurons connected to one another, and the connections grow thicker and stronger and deeper. It becomes set in your brain. So a person, for example, who continually looks at pornography begins to develop in his brain in his brain, memories or, pick, or trees, neuron trees, which grow thicker and thicker and thicker, and there are paths, and it triggers off chemistry in their body. That's how God has designed us. It's a physical thing. And so God designed us. Now, here's the thing. If a person begins to change how they think, they've observed on the electron microscope that the, 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 the trees that, that hold the memory or the patterns of thinking begin to shrink and dissipate, and if you stop thinking those thoughts, they eventually vanish as though they were never there. Isn't that amazing? I discovered that in science. I was reading it in a book recently. 
if you start to develop different ways of thinking, then new neuron paths form up and new trees begin to form within your brain. So imagine that, that within your brain are registered the ways you've thought all your life. And that if you will stop thinking certain ways and begin to develop new thoughts, there will be new neuron paths form, new connections form, and old ones will wither and die away. Think about that. Isn't it amazing? Now, here's the thing about those thoughts. They are connected to emotions. So if your thoughts are negative, you unlock bad chemistry into your body. It affects your DNA and your health. So our body is not wired to cope with things like bitterness, judgments, resentment, self-pity, unforgiveness. All those toxic thoughts create memory trees, neuron trees in your mind that every time you go there, they get stronger and they unlock toxins in your body. Think about that. So what is very true is this. You can be transformed totally as you will renovate your mind. You'll be transformed totally by the renovation of your mind. Now, I wish I could have you come up and lay hands on you and renovate your mind. But as you all know, with renovation, you've got to remove and strip out the whole room, everything that's in there, and systematically replace it with something else. Systematically replace it with something else. We have to, it's called renewing of the mind. So, and, and, and Joshua was commended to do it before he went into the land. One of the biggest instructions God gave him is this. Meditate, ponder, picture, imagine, get into the feelings of my word. So my word begins to build neuron trees and begins to shape the way you think declare my word because that will reinforce it in your life. Begin to act on my word. Notice what he says. You will make your own way to prosper. In other words, prosperity outside us begins with change inside us. Kingly, <clears throat> kingly manifestations outside begin with kingly thinking on the inside. And no one can do it except you. So that requires these sorts of things, becoming aware of how you think. In other words, notice what you feel because behind a feeling is a thought or a belief. Evaluate it, judge it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, bringing every thought and every imagination into captivity that these things that exalt themselves against knowing God. So many of us are limited in our experiences, knowledge of God because we have thoughts that resist and oppose and continually frustrate God's revelation flowing into our life. Renew the mind, and it begins to change. How do we do it? We need to picture, imagine the truth, see the truth, begin to imagine what that feels like. The truth, God is in me. When Clark was here, she had a brilliant message just of what it took for him to meditate that Almighty God was in him. This God that made creation in me. Every day, meditating on it so that wherever he went, he could minister the power of God because he felt immediately the presence of God with him. Meditate, ponder, imagine, picture, begin to let it affect your feelings, begin to speak and embrace it and declare it over your life, begin to live out and act according to it, and you begin to find old memory patterns start to shift, new memory patterns start to form, and your life begins to change. I've determined that this coming year to work on some different areas of change. What about you? Let's just close our eyes right now. The core of it is repentance, a change of mind and a change of heart. And that's where every one of us stands today. If we want to see more of the kingdom of God in our life, 
Let's turn from old unproductive thinking, abandon it, reject it, and put it off. And let's be renewed in our mind and put off whole new ways of thinking and living that make us productive and fruitful and make us think like a king and talk like a king and act like a king and experience kingly advances in our life. Just while our eyes are closed and heads about, is there any person here today who doesn't know Jesus Christ? This would be a great day for you to turn from an old way of thinking, an old way of life, a life in bondage, slavery, and alone into a life connected to Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus died and broke the power of sin in your life. So you could be free. Is there any person today right at that point saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ? Is there any person here? Just raise your hand and say, I want to just come to Christ today. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to just receive Jesus Christ. Any person here today? Just raise your hand quickly. Say, that's me. That's me. Is there anyone here today right at that place of decision? I wonder how many others today, as I've spoken today, you realize that much of what you're experiencing in your life that makes you unhappy is a result of wrong thinking, of issues in the heart unresolved. And God's been speaking to you today about putting off the victim mentality, dealing with the victim issues of the heart, and beginning to put on a kingdom mentality. No more blame. Standing up and beginning to take hold of what God says about you. Day by day, meditating in the truth, rejecting the lies, evaluating your thoughts as they come in. Is this line up with the Word of God? If it doesn't, I reject that thought. It's an ungodly thought. I hold the truth in my heart. I confess the truth, meditate on the truth, embrace the truth until I see it manifest in my life. I believe there are many people today, God's speaking to you about that. Why don't you raise your hand and say, God's really challenged me to have a kingly mentality. Father, I just thank you. Father, I pray today for your grace to flow in the house of God, to break all victim mentalities and to begin to raise up a new breed and generation with kingly thinking, thinking like a king, thinking as you've called us to think, standing and confronting ungodly thinking, rising up to do new things. Father, we just honor you today. We thank you. You've made us one with you. And Jesus, we give you the honor. Shall we give the Lord a clap today? Shall we give him a clap? Come on, shall we give Jesus a clap today? Why don't we stand today? Just finishing a great song.